0: I've already been blessed with the, just the music today. It's just wonderful uh, songs, songs with words that lift our hearts and our minds up to the Lord. We serve a, a glorious God, and He is the one we are worshiping today. And we do so, the epitome of worship is, is the expounding of God's Word. That's what we want to do. If I would, uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter fourteen. We uh, have been in Genesis for a while. We took a break in, in October, um, and we we went through during that break. We went through some things that distinguish us as Christians across the board, from Genesis to Revelation. If you're God's child, no matter in what uh, time frame there are certain characteristics that are just true of God's children. We tried to lay those things out, characteristics of, of a believer. Now we want to go back to Genesis and pick up where we left off. Um, so, Genesis chapter 14, and I want to open with just a word of prayer. Father, again, I pray for your grace. I pray for your blessing upon our time I pray for clarity, I pray for understanding. Lord, we thank you that we can be here to worship together. Thank you for your word, how precious it is to our lives, and how much it directs our steps. We thank you for it, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I feel like I need to give a little bit of, uh, uh, of introduction to the book of Genesis again. Uh, Just because it's been a while and I just want to remind us of the of what we've seen that Moses was commanded by God to write these things down. First five books of the Bible, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. First five books. Uh, And in this these books, Moses lays out the history for the children of, of Israel and particularly the book of Genesis He is giving us the Genesis is the book of origins, the the, the beginnings. And uh, we've seen that from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We see uh, that God created everything, including man. And then he and that's all the material realm, uh, all of the material reality, this world that we live in. And then he breathed into man a, the breath of life and man became a living soul. And, and so we see the physical world and and now we have spiritual people living inside these physical bodies. Now, so we have, folks, an explanation of the material world that we see plus the spiritual world that we can't see but we know is there. Chapter 3, we see the fall of man. So we have an explanation as well uh, as uh, about sin and the corruption that we see in the human race, it cannot be denied. We we just see it. Uh, we understand that Satan usurped uh, man's authority over this earth, and, and he is in control. And then we see chapter four and five, and we see we have an explanation of of death. And we saw. Because of the fall that sin passed from generation to generation to generation. And we know that sin passed to every one of those generations. Why? Because they all died. Because they all died. And then in chapter 6, 7, and 8, we see the, the flood. Noah built an ark and God destroyed the earth. We see the power of God. But we also saw how tolerant God was, how patient God was with man. Uh, He he gave man chance after chance and man uh, continued in their sinfulness. And Noah and the ark became a picture of redemption of man. And in spite of. God's discipline of man destroying the world with all of that power that he uh, demonstrated man man's appetite for sin and his rebellion against God didn't wane at all. And so we see in chapters 9, 10, 11, we see it culminating in the the tower of Babel, how God confounded the language because of men's sinful pride, lifting themselves up and he scattered the people. And then we saw in chapter twelve a pivotal point. A- at that point, things begin to change. Uh, it wasn't the masses, but the focus became onto one person, and that was Abraham, Abraham and or Abram and his his family. One man. And in chapter twelve, God visits Abram, and he's in the land of of uh, the Ur of the Chaldees. That would have been part of the fer- Fertile Crescent. Uh, that we would know that maybe you have taught that in history class when you were younger. The Fertile Crescent. After uh, Noah and his family got off the ark, they would have come down into, out of the mountains, into that area. That would have been uh, the area of Babylonia, and that would, and Ur would have been just north of the uh, Persian Gulf, essentially. That is what we would know it today. And so Moses, or I'm sorry, Abraham, he picks up his uh, his stuff, his family, and moves. And he would travel the the riverbed up to north, and then he would have traveled down into the land of Canaan. And God says, "I want you to go because I'm going to give you a land that I will show you." And it was an act of faith on Abraham's far on Abraham's part. And he was uh, God was very gracious to Abraham, and that act of faith. Uh, was rewarded with salvation of of heart he became a believer of jesus christ, a believer in God, and he put his faith in God and we saw that and and abraham 's life probably changed at that moment in verse chapter thirteen we see god 's blessing hand of blessing was on uh, Abraham and a- abram and Lot, his nephew. So much so that God blessed them. So much so that they had to part ways because the land could not contain uh, all of the, the herds, the sheep, and the, the goats that they had. And the Lord just continued to, to bless them. And then, at the end of chapter 13, God visits Abram again and says, Now, Abram, I want you to go. And let me read verse 17. He says, Arise, walk about the land through, uh, through it. Through its length and breadth. And I will give it to you. And the emphasis is upon the land, Abraham. This is your land. I'm going to give you this land. Go as far as you want, north or south. And look at it. I will, I will give this land to you. So he reiterated his point that this land is going to be Abraham's land. Now we come to verse chapter 14. And we have a story. And the focus of that story is the land. To struggle over this, over this land. The land of Palestine is what we would know uh, today. And this is a significant story. Some stories are not as significant. But this is a significant part of Israel's history. And, I, I, and you need to know this. Because uh, you need to understand why Moses is including this. Uh, remember Moses is is telling the children of Israel this. Uh, three hundred years after the fact, uh, the, he is explaining the forefathers of the Hebrew people and uh, and who those forefathers were it 's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three hundred years before and so Abraham, uh, Moses is explaining to them what happened earlier now these these people. They did not see themselves as a nation. They were just slaves. They, they were able to come out of the uh, land of Egypt. God God allowed them to, to come out and brought them out after 400 years of slavery. But in their mind, they're probably still just slaves. They don't see themselves as a nation. But God is establishing them as a nation and they needed to see that. They needed to understand that they were God's people. And at this point, they probably were thinking more as Egyptians than Hebrews. They're, they probably knew more Egyptian culture. They probably knew more Egyptian history than they did of the Hebrew history or the, of their own history. Even their language may have, have become contaminated at, by this point. But God is wanting to establish them... As a nation. Now, I want you to see what happens. Right before Moses then, he completed this book. The first five books of the, of the Bible. Completed this. And then he gets everybody together and he's going to read this book to the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 12, he says this. Assemble the people. The men and the women and the children and the aliens. That would be for the foreigners that would be in the land who are in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord and be careful to observe all the words of this law. So he he writes these things down at God's command. He brings the congregation together and he reads this out to the the whole congregation. Now, there would have been uh, multiple men helping uh, Abraham as they uh, read these things out, read this word out. Now, they needed this information. They needed to know who God was. They needed to know what God said. They needed to, to have a, a proper view of, of the world. And so Abraham starts with the book of Genesis and he uh, helps them to understand the material world, where it came from, that this one God created everything. They needed to understand the the human race and the way it it works and why it's, why it is corrupt the way it is. All of those things that we've seen. Marriage, work, family. Even sin and death and judgment. And the different languages and different cultures. Where did they come from? Well, they, God is, is informing them of these things and He's establishing these important things. They needed to know, they needed to know who they were. As God's people. And God's demands on their life. They needed to know God's purpose for them. They needed to know. That their forefathers. Trusted in God. They needed to know. That they worshipped. Their forefathers worshipped. The true and the living God. And this budding nation. Needed to understand. Things from God's perspective. They needed to know who this God was in detail. So that they could fear Him. So they they would hear. They would learn. and So that they could fear Him. They needed to fear God. So that they would have proper motivation. And listen to that. Fear God so that they would have proper motivation in obeying God. They needed to know who He was so that they would fear Him. Because the Lord is going to take them through some very hard things. And all of this lays a foundation for a right relationship with the God of the universe. With the God who created them. And they are to live in light of what God has taught them. And so Moses then is giving them history. The history of their nation. And he's laying these things out for them. And it's uh, he does so by... By giving them stories or accounts and narratives of, of what actually happened. Now some stories are more significant than other stories. And I believe this chapter 14 is a very significant story in the life and the history of Israel. <clears throat> now out of the 120 years that Abraham uh, lived, we don't know a whole lot about his life. We, we know a few bits and pieces really through scripture. But in this story, we begin to see, this is the first real significant story in, in Abraham's interaction with other people. When we begin to see his life and his character, what he was like, and we begin to get a glimpse of, of <clears throat> what defined him. And this, de- this story not only defines Abraham and his character, but it sets, a, it establishes a, a value their values, and sets a tone for Israel. So that they know where to place the emphasis in life. And what's important to them. Now, we, uh, we here in America, we have a strong sense of independence. We have a strong sense of freedom and fairness. Because of our forefathers. We understand that. We've heard the stories. Uh, we've heard the Boston uh, the Boston Tea Party. We're, we're not going to take these taxes anymore and we dump the tea over the, the boat. We've heard George Washington and, and his ragtag army and how they were victorious. We, we heard the stories of us breaking our ties to the tyranny of, uh, of England. We, we won our independence. And this is one of those kinds of stories in the nation of Israel. This is a significant story. Now, we here in America, I think, are, are still struggling over our identity. Because what happens is people want to shift and, and, and move that story. Change that story just a little bit. Put the emphasis on the wrong thing. And so we struggle here in America. I think we're struggling with our identity because we don't know the right story, because that story is being changed for us. You have the, you almost have the, the Christian narrative over here, but then you have the progressive narrative, kind of reading into history, kind of changing history a little bit. Is America a good nation or a bad nation? how as as Christians we need to answer that we need to think through that how are we going to live with wisdom in in this world? Is it just a, a bunch of greedy people who are using up the the world's resources or have we left the the world in a better place? have we contributed anything to man 's freedom to the pursuit of of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and freedom of speech what are we going to believe the story is important what narrative are we going to buy into and <clears throat> the outcome the outcome is going to be very different If you buy into this narrative, you're going to go down this direction, you're going to wind up in a different place. If you buy into this narrative, you're going to go down this direction and you're going to buy in or you're going to wind up in a different place. The narrative is important. You have to trust the narrative. You have to know. We have to know truth, don't we? We understand that. But now the direction of America, that's we're battling those things those social wars that are uh, battling right now but something even more important to the Christian is the Christian war which narrative are you going to buy into because what's happening it seems like there's there's people that are kidnapping Christianity as a religion and taking it down a road that it should not should not go changing the story just a little bit and it's important In fact, it's just as important, more important for us to understand the story of scripture and hold tenaciously to that than the, than the redefining of Christianity that kind of we see today. This is the same God that Abraham, (coughs) uh, worshiped, the true and living God that we worship today. And we have, we have to understand the narrative. So these things, these things, will be pulled together. And I'll just say this. One of the distinguishing difference. And we're seeing this in Sunday school. And I would encourage you to be a part of our Sunday school class. It's, it's very helpful. And, and we're talking about discernment. One of the things that you can discern though. Is how exegetical are people. Or are they just making these things up as they go along. Are they just dealing with the, the narrative. Or do they ever go back to scripture. Anyway let's. Let's move on. God has given this land to Abraham. And so when we come to chapter 14, we would expect to see this struggle for the land that Abraham is fighting and controlling and, and defeating or defending the peop- uh, this land. But what you see is just the opposite of that. That Abraham is not fighting with this at all. In fact, what we see is a humble, gracious attitude toward Abraham or with Abraham. And this... Um, uh, what, we, what we see is that the struggle is with other people. How Abraham is getting along with other people. In fact, the, the, the picture that we see of Abraham is, is just a quiet man trusting the Lord. And a good example of, of faith in God's grace and protecting his family. And this account, I'll say that again, sets the tone for the nation. It's important for us to understand that. Now, here's the the principle. God gives humble confidence. And that's what I want you to see in Abraham's life in the next couple of weeks. A humble confidence to his people to accomplish seemingly impossible tasks. This story is an incredible story. This is Hollywood stuff. But God gives humble confidence to those who uh, are going to accomplish seemingly impossible tasks for God. Now, there's four things. It would, the passage divides up easily into four little sections. We introduce the people, we introduce the situation, and we see the problem, and then we see the result. So let's look at verse 1. And I want to read through this as uh, Moses introduces us to the people in this story. It's a narrative, but this is a, an account of what actually happened. So, Genesis chapter 14, verse 1. And it came about in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Well, let's just stop there. Some people say that, uh, Amraphel is the, uh, the historical figure of Hammurabi. He, he was Hammurabi, maybe at a younger stage of his life, but he was, he was the king. Now, Hammurabi came up with, uh, these 282 codes, codes of, of life, and people will pit that up against the, the Ten Commandments and say, see, uh, God didn't produce the Ten Commandments, uh, uh they, they just got that from Hammurabi, Hammurabi. And, um, and we would say that you'll see this story played out, but if this is the, the real Hammurabi, and he was, uh, he was, uh, in existence at about 20, 21 BC He was probably influenced by Abraham and Just think about that I want to connect it to real history and, and if this is the story If this is him And some people think that it is And it could be I don't know Nobody tells us But there's if there's a connection This man is probably influenced by Abraham I'll just just throw that out there Um. So he is in Shinar. He's the king in Shinar. Now think about this. Shinar in that fertile crescent in uh, Babylon or Babylonia there. In one of the northern uh, kingdoms. Or, or that would be essentially city states. And he's going to give us the other kings involved here. Eric, the king of El- Elzar. Uh, Ked- Kedar- Kedar- Lemir, Ketalomer. Ketalomer, that's what we're going to call it. Ketalomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, the king of Goyim, and these were war, these were, they, these made war at, with Bara, the king of Sodom, and Bersha, the king of Gomorrah, Shinab, the king of Aba, and Shimabar, Shem, the king of Zaboyim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And all of these came as allies to the land, or to the valley of Sidon, which is the salt sea. Now, so you have to get the picture here. These kings. Uh, there 's four kings on the, the western side or the eastern side i 'm sorry the eastern side that were in the Fertile Crescent. They would come up, follow the riverbed Now this was before the topo map, so they weren 't they weren't looking at boundaries and things like that. They were just following the the riverbed up to Damascus or in that northern part of uh, uh, Mes- Mesopotamia, and then come down into the land of, of Canaan, the land of Palestine. And again, they would just follow the riverbed. And they were conquering, and what they would do is enslave the people, and the people would work for them, and uh, and give them some of their crops, and, and probably protect in, for uh, trade off uh, with protection for those people. Now, this is in uh, so that would be Shinar, and these would be city states, and, and they would be vassal states, and, and so these four kings basically kind of ruled over this area. They were from a, a different part. They couldn't come straight across because of the desert. They had to stay with the, with the river, and the terrain there. But they were essentially a vassal state. These little smaller kings, and Kedah um, he was the the top king at the time. It seems like, and so in the in the springtime is when they would probably go out for battle, because that's when that would be before. Uh, the thaw before people could, could sow their seed and, and bring their crops. And they would go out for battle to expand the territory So that before they would uh, uh, seed their, their crops. And that's what would happen. So it was a yearly thing. This was, this was to expand their, their territory. And what you see here with these three verses is just ungodly people doing ungodly things. That's what it is. That's that it's no more than that. Just merating bands here where you have these kings trying to put control in. But you have uh, conquering and you have pillage and you have enslavement. You have people establishing themselves as king over other people. Sinful men doing sinful things filled with pride. But what you don't see here is Abraham. In fact, he, he, he seems to be insignificant here. He, he's not really in the picture. Maybe he wasn't wealthy enough, but we see that he was. Maybe he wasn't significant enough, but we see that he was. This is a, these are very wealthy men, and they were throwing their weight around, controlling and, and demonstrating their power and exaltation, exult, uh, and, and probably some greed involved there. But Abraham was different. He was different. What you see with Abraham was he was marked with humility. Marked with humility. And I think we'll see that as the story unfolds. And God's people are marked with humility. When you look from Genesis to Revelation, that's the the dominant characteristic of God's people. There's a meekness there. There's a, a strength under control. They understand power, but it's under control. They've been exposed to the power and the grace of of God. I like what uh, Martin Lloyd Jones he says. This he said the meaning of grace or true uh, the term grace is that though we deserve nothing but punishment and hell and banishment out of the sight of God for all eternity, yet God, of His own love and grace and wondrous mercy, has granted us salvation. That's grace. Completely deserve hell and banishment, but we receive grace. Now, folks, when you are exposed to that kind of of grace from the power of God, and He is gracious to you, that has a humbling effect on the heart. Christ taught it, Matthew chapter 5. It's a humbling effect on the heart. And that's what you see. Now, my point here is that in a pride-filled culture, humility stands out. It just does. In a pride-filled culture, humility stands out. Uh, folks, I, I look at America today, and I, 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 we're, we're just talking about, uh, Richard and I were talking about uh, the NBA and the NFL and yesterday. And we're talking about just, just, just the pride that you see. These been, you know, they... they uh, run in for a touchdown and, and just the victory all the 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 um, all of the celebration and thing just for doing their job. They just crossed the line. They were just doing what they were supposed to do. But there's so much pride. NBA, the same the same thing. You just see exaltation. Now, early on, the, the NBA or the uh, NFL tried to rein this in. And so there were some some rules that, um, that you could unsportsmanlike conduct, even even today, we'll, they'll try to pull some of those or um, excessive celebration. And they're trying to rein in the pride of man, but they, they're finding they can't do that. Right. It's all about just exuberant pride. self. look what I accomplish. We live in a, a time, folks, that humility can stand out. And humility is a mark of, of God's children from Genesis to Revelation. So we see these ungodly kings doing ungodly things. This is just what the world does. This is what you would expect from the world. Look at number two, the situation here. Look in verse 4. Twelve years they had served Ketalomer, Ketalomer. But the thirteenth year they rebelled they said we were not going to take it anymore 12 years we served you 12 years you would come and take our food or at least a percentage of our food and we were working for you but we're not going to do it anymore the 13th year well the 14th year came along and Kidalomar the king uh the kings that were with him came and defeated them now what happens at this point he gives us a list of names i'm going to read out these names but these are probably not city states as more of marauding bands. this is what you would you would see maybe in the in the wild west as people were were moving out west there would be there would be um unsavory characters or or groups that would that you would need protection from and so this is this is what happened Uh, Ketalamar, uh, Ketalamer, he and these other kings, they came out and they defeated these. First of all, the Rephaim uh, in Ashtaroth Canerim. And then uh, let me stop right there. The Rephaim means giants. And it could be some of those that were attached to uh, Genesis chapter six, but probably not. Uh, just again, marauding bands. These were, these were the, the bigger people. And then you had the zuzim, zuzim, and that means roving creatures. These were probably more like gypsies. Just bands that, that would be roaming about up to no good and wanting to take money from, from those passers by. And they were in ham and imim, which is, means terrors, terrors, so you, another group of, of people, they just were terrorizing people. And they just got that name, Terah, Teres. And um, they were in uh, Shevav Karathim and the Horites in Mount Seir. The Horites, the Horites just means cave dwellers cave dwellers. Again, all of these all of these people groups are, are more of a marauding bands and, and so he conquers them, defeats them from the north down to the south. And it says in the Kings of um, I'm sorry, back in verse six, the Horites of Mount Seir, and as far as El Paran, where uh, which is by the wilderness. So he goes as far south as he can go. And runs into this wilderness. And then he cuts back in verse 7. Then they turned back and came to. In Mishpat. Uh, which is Kadesh. You'd probably be familiar with that term. That would be in a, a Israel Israeli town. There. A Hebrew town. A Kadesh Barnea. And conquered all the countries. Of the uh, Amalekites. Amalekites. And that would have been. Amalekites. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. That would have been in Abraham's day. They would have been called something different in, in uh, Moses' day. And also the Amorites. The Amorites. These were all Canaanite people. Uh, and again, probably just marauding bands up to no good. And there's, there's, you know, we look at a map and we think, why did he start here and wind up here, and when he could have just gone over here? But they didn't have maps. He was just going the riverbed, and and whoever was there, he was just conquering. And this is the kind of king that he was. Now he was probably doing a good thing, uh, and and maybe that's why there was revolt because he hadn 't taken care of these marauding bands, and so he comes and he cleans up the area these bandits that were up to no good he, uh, he, he cleans out the forest uh, th- those who would need protection from the uh, the, the common, or the, the common people would need protection from these these people, much like the the wild West that we would see today now Kittle is, uh he, he had allowed this rebellion up to a point, and then he, and he had to cut it off. He had to conquer it. So he comes and, and he takes care of the marauding bands, and then he goes up and he faces these, uh, these other kings, and he, he has to crush this rebellion. Now, there's a certain place for order in society, and, and this was probably a good thing that this king was doing. We kind of look at it as a bad thing, but he was just trying to establish order in this region. And of course, he was taking his own taxes out of that. But in doing so, he's, he's demonstrating some authority over the land. And I think that's really interesting because God's, uh, God had given this land to, to Abraham or Abram. And he's protecting these people from this, these uh, marauding bands, these bandits and these unprincipled men. But there's always going to be those, aren't there? We see those in, in today's society. And there has to be order. So there is a place for police and military and uh, for the armed forces. Because the unsaved world is going to act like the unsaved world. Now, the, here, here's the key that he has to use force to do this. This is just force, brute force, military force. He has to bring his. Soldiers he has to conquer these people, subdue these people in some way, just to bring civilization to the area Now this is a moder- uh, this is a um, a model for for maybe nations at, at that time that 's the way things were being run, but it is not a model for the house, for the home for the particularly the christian home um, and, and I think we need to understand that, especially when we 're dealing with the public arena is that we we tend to bring principles within the home we, we bring it into the nation or vice versa we bring principles from the nation into the home and they're two very different things this is not a model for the christian family we don't have to do everything by force everything is is not by force we use truth believers follow truth we instruct our children in love and, and grace. We use reason with them. We train them. We train them up in the way they should go. And it's not always about brute force. It's not always about, uh, having to, to, to spank them. Now sometimes that's needed, but it's not the norm. It's not the norm. Why? Because we're dealing with the heart. In 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 the home, in the Christian home, you can do that. You can can reach down to that heart and and reason with that heart. Now, it's not easy. It's much harder to do than we think. And our Christian home should not reflect the Wild West, where you have to have Matt Dillon come and, and correct everything. It's not like that. We can do things much more efficiently by training and teaching the Word of God to our children. Okay, so, you, so we see the situation here. Number three, we see the plot. In fact, we could just say the plot thickens. Look in verse eight. And the kings of, king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Ebna, uh, or Adma, and the king of Ze- Zebuim, Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, came out and they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Sidon. Now, again, let me tell you about this Valley of Sidon. This would be, this would be the, the Salt Sea. Now, you have to understand, it's a valley. It'd be a massive area, uh, and it would be right beside the, the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. Now, everything flowed into the Dead Sea... But nothing flowed out of the Dead Sea because it was a thousand over a thousand feet below sea level. So there was nothing flowing out of it. And so, but it's actually a beautiful, beautiful lake, a a great place. Uh, North of that, you had the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee flowed south down into that uh, that salt sea. And you had the Jordan River. That's what created the Jordan River. Flowed into that from the Sea of Galilee down to, down to the Salt Sea. And it creates then this valley. Beautiful place. Very lush. And, and so they're fighting in this place. Now these are the people that have rebelled. They're facing Ketalomer. Uh, in in their battle fatigues, they're ready to go. So in verse 9, Against Kelomer, the king of Elam, Titus, and Tidal, the king of uh, Goyim, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariak, king of Elzar. Four kings against five. Nine kings. Four kings against five. Five kings are rebelling, four kings are coming, uh, and the five kings actually have the home turf advantage, so you would think that they're going to win. Verse 10. Now the valley of Sidon was full of tar pits. It would probably have been a, a little bit of a, a carve into the Dead Sea, and they, they think that those tar pits were probably there. They would have been mined or used for uh, various things. So these tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But, these, but those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all of the goods, these are the military men, took all of the goods and, of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of their food supply, and departed. They also took Lot. Abraham's nephew or Abram's nephew and his possessions and departed for he was living in Sodom. Now, now we understand the connection, don't we? We understand what's going on, why this is so significant. Now, it's hard to to uh, not notice lots, lots decline here. And that's kind of kind of just glaring to me. Uh, if you notice, if you go back to chapter four, chapter thirteen, Abraham let Lot choose, and in chapter chapter four, chapter thirteen and verse ten, Lot left lifted up his eyes and he saw the valley of Jordan. That's exactly the valley that we're talking about, and he saw that, and he wanted that, and he started pursuing that, the valley of Jordan, verse eleven, verse eleven. So Lot chose. For himself also the valley of Jordan. And he journeyed toward eastward. Journeyed eastward. Verse 12. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. While Lot settled in the city of the valley. Cities of the valley. And moved his tent toward as far as Sodom. And what you see is one decision after another decision after another decision. We don't want to be too hard on Lot, but, but this is just a, a series of, of bad decisions and it's a, a downward spiral spiritually for Lot. And, and he's, you know, like I said, we don't want to be too hard on him, but but he was making some, some bad decisions. Um, uh, I'm sure that he didn't mean to be in the situation that he was in. But he was, there was this draw for some reason, a draw toward Sodom. Sodom was a wicked city. In fact, what we'll see in chapter 19 is that God Himself destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sinfulness. But He was drawn to that city. Not sure why. Uh, But He was captured now. And the result is that Of these poor decisions that he is being carted away, his stuff is being carted away, his wife and family is being carted away, and he's kidnapped now. And he's the victim. Now, if it was America, he would have been the victim, and, and he would have probably seen himself as the victim. He's the one that all these bad things keep happening to him. Poor him. But really, it just came down to poor decisions. Poor decisions. He's essentially reaping what he sowed, and there's a lesson for us, isn't there? One step it will be lead to another step; it will lead to another step. And we can play the victim card all we want, but it's a most of the time it's a matter of decision of choices. I like what MacArthur says. There's a quote. He says the goal of life is not personal satisfaction. And I believe that that's where a lot went wrong. He was just satisfying himself, his own desires. The goal of life, he goes on to say, is to glorify God and honor God. And that is the chief blessing in life is to glorify and honor God. The chief blessing in life. When when you live to honor God, you enjoy life to its max. And I would say, no matter what the circumstances that you're in. It's a good quote. So the plot is, the problem is is Lot is now being carted away. And so we see the last little point here is Abram's response. Verse 13, look what Abram does. Then, verse 13, then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now, he was living in the Oaks of Mamre, the Amorite. Brother of Escol and brother of Enner, uh and these were allies with Abraham. Now he had made friends with the other it sounds like families because there were two brothers uh, families around and and they allied with Abraham or Abram verse fourteen when Abram heard that his relatives had been taken captive, he led out his trained men. Born in his house, 318, essentially, fighting men. And they were, they were pursued as far as Dan. They pursued as far as Dan. Now, I'm thinking, when I'm first reading this story, I'm thinking, maybe 20, 25 men. But he had 318 men. M- many of them born in his own household. Abraham himself didn't have children. But he was still a family man, wasn't he? He, he had servants who had children. He had herdsmen because he, he herded sheep and, and goats. And he he blessed them. He pulled them into his family. And, and he had children born to them. And, and they, he developed this fighting team. These skilled soldiers within his own home. There's a case here for self-defense. For home defense even. So you, you can justify the gun under your bed or... Your, Locking your doors or or whatever. But that's what you see. He's just defending himself because it was a, a tough time. And Abraham heard that his relative lot had been taken, and so he led out. Verse 15: He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants defeated them. Now, this is this is the four kings that had already beaten the five kings. He defeats them. And he pursues them. They're fleeing. Who is this guy with all of these military men skilled and knowing what they're doing? He pursued them as far as Hoba, as north as Damascus. That would have been as, about as far north as you could go in the Palestinian area, region there. And he brought back all of the goods, all that, uh, also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and all the women and all the people. So you see Abraham is the the victor here he, he did a he did a, a good deed here. Um, in fact, God gave him victory that's a surprise it's a shocking part of that story. you wouldn't expect Abraham, little old Abraham to be that strong that developed, but obviously God had had blessed him. He had already defeated four these kings or he, he defeated four kings that had already defeated five kings pursued them all the way up north. That would have been about 150 miles, by the way, that he pursued them. And what we see of Abraham is is military strength. We see a a leader here. He had a head for strategy. He had a, a skilled fighting force. But what you don't see with Abraham is you don't see him enslaving the people. Dividing up the land and taxing the people. He doesn't do a victory lap. What you see is is hum, humility, true humility. He just does what needs to be done, protecting his family. Goes out, and like my sons would say, like a boss. Comes marching back into town with all of the people, all of the stuff. We see Abraham is quiet, silent, strong, capable, a man of faith in God. He he. He's just pointing, because of who he is, he's just pointing to God. Pointing to the God that he worships. Everyone's going to be asking, what, what God does he worship? What God is he following? He has, this is the stuff of, of Hollywood. Without the humility. Humility is a mark. Of those who have faced, come face to face with God. And face his grace and his goodness toward you, even though you don't deserve it, and that breaks us. That's it's a humbling part. And I tell you, this is a story that will that that should bring pride to the uh, to the uh, Jewish people. It, it should be a, one of those stories that motivates the young men to be like Abraham, be like this this guy to be blessed by the lord to serve the lord in quiet humility and this should define the whole nation and god's courage god gives some some courage humble confidence to his people to accomplish some great things even when they're unexpected folks we can be we can be those people When the Lord does use us to do great things, and I think he will, will there be an attitude of humility? Will there be an attitude of humility in your own heart? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for just this time again to be in your word. What an example for us. Abraham was ready to do what needed to be done. He did what you wanted him to do, and he brings back, he's the conqueror, but he has such a humble spirit. Lord, may we reflect that kind of humility. May those things be a part of our life, just because we, we have seen a God of power, we've seen a God who could destroy us, and we deserve destroying, who could banish us from all eternity. And yet you have been gracious to us. Lord, help us, teach us to be gracious with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.